Hello, this is Matt Rowe, worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, February 4th, 2024. Hi, I'm John Vanderbilt, the lead pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. <laughs> Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, co-founder and executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, senior pastor at Glen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Good How are we doing? morning. Good morning. Loopy this morning. We're a little off, but we prayed, so we're counting on. I was the doing spirit. fine until John and Matt started hating on Valentine's. Day. I'm not hating on it. <laughs> not hating on it at all. I am. Kelly, you is. too? Why not? Oh. No, well, you o- you only. I show my wife love year round. That's every right. I don't day. need a Hallmark holiday. Oh my God. <laughs> Simone, so you like I, it? I feel you like, like Valentine's Day. I feel day? like you're hating it to hate it. You know, just. Who cares if it's it's love? It's love. I love love. <laughs> you are a murderer of love. love. I love it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> oh man! Speaking what of love, I, I've got a little bit of a Great Wolf Lodge in me now. Oh. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> at the biochemical level. Uh, <laughs> we went to Great Wolf Lodge. Speak. It was awesome. And other things, and awesome. It's entertaining, isn't it? It was a hoot. It really was. At so many we just levels. Had a blast. Like we just packed into a tiny, you know, hotel room for a couple of days and went to the water park like three different times. When you bring up Great Wolf Lodge, I can smell the chlorine. Yeah. Like, Thank goodness. I get a Thank goodness. I, I know. There's a lot of chlorine. We actually walked away thinking. I think maybe there could have been more chlorine. <laughs> oh, oh, that's like it wasn't as potent as I was hoping. I know, right? <laughs> No, I want to smell it all the time. <laughs> oh, that was our first uh, indoor Which one did water. You go to? The oh, one in Gurney. Gurney. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not far. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it only takes like an hour to get there, and traffic wasn't bad. It was fun though. It was it was good. We had a we had a good time. Did you get the annual pass so you can go. Back? <laughs> <laughs> I did the Groupon actually. Oh. Shout out to the to Groupon. Groupon. It took like thirty bucks off the whole thing. It was nice. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> I you bought a Great Wolf Lodge Groupon. I, I love it. How long? Ago, how long has it been since you bought a Groupon? Oh, forever. I right? did it at Christmas time. You nice. used to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's different in the, living in the city. There were Groupons for. I mean, yeah. like everywhere you go, you could probably still get a bunch. But living out here, there's not as much. Mm-hmm. It used to be like you're going to go buy something, you're like, I wonder if there's a Groupon for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it didn't matter. Oh, right. You know, kind of yeah. like. I bet you can get that on Amazon. Now it's like you don't even ask that. You just go to Amazon. Yeah, fun, well, funny, some people do. Funny old school quick story, but um, when I was working at Park in the City, uh, Groupon, when they first started, they started out at an office right like a I block away, mm-hmm. and they grew so fast, so big, that they couldn't, they couldn't have meetings anymore in their space. So they started renting out our worship center. Did you sell them a Groupon have, for that? That'd be hilarious. <laughs> I know, right? You're like one hour, but you get it for totally. an hour and a half. Totally. <laughs> um, but it was funny, like they started meeting in our worship center and they just, I mean, in a couple years of a time span, it was like, well, there's 50. and Well, now there's 100. Well, now wow. there's 200. I mean, they just kept growing and their staff got bigger and bigger. It's crazy. It was a thing. What, what was it, like 2011? I don't know. When they started? I, I don't oh, know. I, I mean, when it was idea. like a thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. So Sundays, um, Kelly was up here. 
Jim Schoberg was yeah. preaching uh, yeah. his second of two sermons right. up at Poplar. Yeah. I haven't haven't got to watch. I watched his first one. He did he a great does job. Terrifically. Yeah. Um, his pictures are wild, man. Yeah. Like in the jungle with his family. <laughs> you know, like watching. He it. says that's his best ministry experience was in the jungles I know. of Ecuador. Wow. Walking the trails, what he called it. Yeah. Yeah. With tiny kids, man. I mean, just yeah. doing it. Man, it's awesome. Um, so he was up at Poplar. Kelly was here. Um, Communion Sunday. Eileen was up. Yeah, she so did. So that good. was good. That was yeah. probably the first time a lot of folks in the church got to just see her mm-hmm. and live and, and hear her mm-hmm. and and she did a great job. Um well let's get into some questions. All right, first up, um I confess that my anger toward the older brothers within our community is growing. And by older brothers they're referencing the, the, the story of the prodigal. Right. Mm-hmm. Luke fifteen, the passage for this week. Yep. Kind of the Pharisaical judgmental Right. Uh, better self-righteous. Yeah. Folks so you got the two brothers in the, in the prodigal community. story, yeah. right? You got yeah. the prodigal who went away and spent, asked for his inheritance early, spent it all, mm-hmm. lived crazily, came back, and when he came back, the older brother was jealous and angry, angry and resentful because yeah. he was there the whole time, and yeah, I think most of us know. It. Didn't feel like the father had treated him well. Yeah. So this person is saying, I confess that my anger toward the older brothers within our community is growing. At times, it seems like this group continues to grow in their active hostility toward anyone who disagrees with them theologically, politically, etc. As if any kindness or hospitality for the prodigals might threaten their own salvation. If we are truly following and teaching the message of Jesus, shouldn't we be drawing and welcoming the prodigals in droves, regardless of what others might think of us? It's interesting, the, the question... Uh, submitted says, as if any kindness or hospitality for the prodigals might threaten their own salvation. It's yeah. interesting. So when the father throws the party for the prodigal and kills the fattened calf, remember, he's taken his inheritance. So the older brother actually has a share in what in the party. It's costing the older brother sure. something. It's a part of his inheritance that's getting spent on the celebration. So he's invested and and he's resentful about the, the investment he's making. But I, I do think it's true that if, if we're following Jesus, the door through, should, in our lives, our hearts, our minds should be wide open to welcoming prodigals. But cautious, let's be cautious there, it should also be thrown wide open to welcoming the older brothers. And, and, and that's difficult. If we're not careful, we can become older brothers to older brothers. Mm-hmm judgmental of those who are judgmental and self-righteous. So we just, it's a, it's a trap that we need to be careful about. So I appreciate the confession. I have wrestled with it myself. I mentioned in both services how confounded I have been over the last couple of weeks, 10 days, 14 days, I guess, that Alistair Bag is being skewered. He's being roasted by hyper-conservative fundamentalists who are unnerved by his take, um, his um, take towards some some uh, prodigals, and so I um, so I and need to be careful. Can we get into that a little bit? I so have the, no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, so Alistair Bag is. I mean, know who he is, but I don't. Yeah, know. he's a, for those that don't know who Alistair is, he's a 71 year old preacher that came from Scotland in his late 20s and started preaching at a church in Ohio when he was 30 years old. 
and he has been in the same pulpit for 40 years. He, um, written, so written books has like a real popular radio show. 1800 radio stations a day carried wow. him, yep. carried his voice truth for life ministries. And so hugely influential, um, always been pretty solid. Yeah. 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 So about 13 days ago, he shared that he had counseled a grandma. Who well, had, it's, he shared that back in September. Oh, and it came out like it, all the sudden. The people, he referenced well, it recently. Well, he, he in, referenced it recently, but in, it didn't. It happened months ago. Right, happened months ago, and then somebody took it all from months ago and did a whole like blast on social media about how this Alistair's the next one to go down, kind of woke with all this liberalism. Yeah. And then so, he preached a sermon last Sunday, in kind of in clarification and defense of himself and explanation and and he's preaching through luke 15 so he he happened to be last sunday preaching through the older younger son parable and used it as a jumping off point to explain his posture now the original reason is that he coached a grandma he encouraged a grandma to go to her granddaughter's wedding her granddaughter was marrying a woman so it was a lesbian wedding and encouraged her to go and uh, take a present and uh, enter in. Uh, There's not, a lot not, more around the whole, yeah, how it all went down, but yes, so that's what he recommended. He's, he said, to be present, uh, as he understood the situation, isn't affirming uh, of, the, of the marriage uh, in his estimation in this situation. Anyway. He also said that he might give different counsel had it been somebody different. Yeah, if the details had been different. Right. He he worked really hard to nuance it, uh, but stood by his original. Anyway, to to the the question asker's point here, people have just been, well, canceling him, criticizing him. He's actually lost, I think the count was, yeah, like 800 to 1,000 radio stations have dropped him as a result. Which, you know, okay. I, I just, so I have struggled with anger towards the judgmental. So I need to be careful that I don't become judgmental towards the judgmental. Sure. It's, a, it's a horrible trap. So, I mean, I can understand the, why the soil is the way that it is these days in Christian culture. Granted, we still need to be kind and we still yeah. need to be, you know, and think the best and all that. But at the same time, there are a lot of people coming out saying crazy things going apostate, leaving the faith, reconstructing, deconstructing, whatever structing you want to call it. Like there's, there are pastors who are going off the rails. And so, you know, like that has caused a lot of us to have our antenna up. Um, you know, I saw this blow up on Twitter like a week ago and yeah. I was like, what is going on? I read the details and I was like, oh my gosh, this is not what well, people are making f- this out to be. The frustrating like, part is it's like one, like if you were going to look at the pipeline of teaching and doctrine and life living character of the man it's all very orthodox helpful gospel centered and so and in one you know some people would might throw this back in my face and say well it isn't debatable i would say in in a debate in a perspective, debatable situation, you may think that the advice he gave was not great advice. Others may argue who are conservative, orthodox, say, 
yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that advice. So it, it isn't, now again, some would say it is black and white. I would say maybe it's not as black and white. Right. We throw everything away. We say the entire pipeline is garbage. It's trash. He's right. trash. He's canceled. now bankrupt. No influence. Don't <laughs> yes. sell his books. Don't listen to him. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yep. Like, and that's been we, culturally going on in our country yeah, for the that, last 20 years, right? right? Like and building. And where it's existing in the secular world, you know, we have can- cancel culture, but it, it's, um, it's like everywhere mm-hmm. in the church. Yep. And people are feeding on um, these sound bites, and it's just, it's out of hand, and it needs to stop because it's just hurting people and the church and the witness of Christ. Yeah, the, uh, I, you know, the biggest threat does not seem to be from outside the church. The biggest threat to the church's effectiveness is our getting along and being kind to each other. Mm-hmm. I see this as a, an example of the culture shaping church instead of the other way around. Yeah. Right, like we were seeing this in culture, pretty hardcore, uh, starting maybe 20-ish years ago. And it seems like it has... The cancel elements. We've adopted it. The can- yeah, yeah, like if yeah. you've said anything egregious in your life, you could be 15, you could be 25, you could be whatever age. If you've done it, then you've discredited your entire life. Your life's work, all that you've stood for is now in shambles. And it seems that the church has now adopted that mentality. It... um. When you were giving the overview, Kelly, of what happened, it made me think immediately I just went to the passage where Jesus is sitting and eating with tax collectors and sinners. I'm sure you remember, but his response to it is what I I don't, I just immediately thought of when um, he's, the Pharisees are accusing him of why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, I'm hearing this, this is in Matthew 9. In verse 12, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I feel that to me kind of beautifully overlays what's with what's happening with the father and his two sons and how we talked about this a little bit last week too. We can... And, some regard identify with each one of those characters, the prodigal, the older brother and the father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I think you're, you're right on. It's interesting. Like if we want an example, and I know the standards really high with what I'm about to say, but if we want an example of someone who has navigated this frustration and anger towards the other brother and a open love for them at the same time, like a caring love for them at the same time, and a caring love, and um, and yet teaching to the to the younger brother, it's it's in Christ. Like in Christ, we see the example of someone who has navigated this. So, in the setting in in um, Luke fifteen, you have Pharisees, tax collectors, and sinners all together mm-hmm. wanting to hear from Jesus and he gives love to all to both groups mm-hmm. and he gives rebuke or teaching or 
correction correction to both groups. Like no one is left the way that they are. Mm-hmm. He isn't looking at any part of the scene from the most righteous to the to the you know the most lowliest of sinners. He's not looking at any of them saying, "Yeah, you're good where you're at." Mm-hmm. He's saying, "No, here's the teaching." But the teaching and the correction comes in uh, in love. He has love for the Pharisees and love for the sinners. But then, and we also see throughout the Gospels these moments where Jesus gives really direct correction mm-hmm. for Pharisees. You brood of vipers, pretty direct. Exactly, right? <laughs> and other places where he does the same. For, for sinners as as well in a not in the same language. Yeah, go and sin no more. Go and sin no Stop. more. Stop. Right. 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 Yeah, the, right. You know, and you think of some of the interactions one on one with people like Nicodemus and the woman at the well or other places where he offers. And so, you know, again, the standard is is really high, but we need to have love for the older brother, love for the younger brother, love for the Pharisee, love for the sinner. Use opportunities to to teach correct where we can, and realize, man, we are broken, mm-hmm. judgmental sinners ourselves. Yeah. yeah, we need to be the father that goes back, goes out to both younger and older brothers. We right. need to, we need to go out, plead with them. the The question asker says, "I confess that I'm anger angry." I, yeah. To your point, John, some anger is appropriate. And, but some, some anger is inappropriate and unhelpful, and, and the Lord will help us with that as we're asking him about it. His spirit will coach us on this, this anger. You know, I've had anger that I, that I squashed only to learn, oh, I should have expressed a little bit of anger. Mm-hmm. It, it was appropriate. Um, and then some anger that I vented, and it did no good the way I vented it. So we just, some anger is appropriate. We need to follow the spirit there. Um, you're right. He had, he had corrective words for both groups. Mm-hmm. I, I at this moment, which could change at any at any time, I have like compassion and empathy on the older brother because he is it, to me demonstrating someone who's super insecure, feeling like your transactions and your your behavior is going to merit love, and he's frustrated because he's seeing his younger the younger brother you know, he's extended so much grace that it's almost making it to me. It's showing the the older brother has never received that because if you've received it, it does something to you, right? It can change you. And so there's a part of me that, I don't know, I kind of feel bad for him. Like he's just miserable and he hasn't, it, it, it begs the question for me, if you know somebody in your life and like I've said before, I have been the older brother plenty of times, but when you know somebody in your life who I have somebody in, in mind, who has a hard Is it me? time, <laughs> they are not in this room, who has a hard time both giving and receiving grace. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to watch because you can't convince somebody mm-hmm. of grace. They have, you have to experience it for yourself. And maybe I'm answering my own question, but that's, I, I, I understand what this person's asking. And my question in return is, what do you do when there's somebody in your life who just, they, they certainly don't give it. And to me, that's an indication that they've never actually really received it either. Mm-hmm. And they're just a frustrated older brother. Yeah. What when, do you do with that person? You know, you quoted, um, what was it, Matthew? It's, Matthew it's Yeah, the, it's not the healthy that need mm-hmm. a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. 
I'm afraid that some in hearing that said, oh, he's right, I am righteous. The real burden for the older brother in me is to realize I'm, I'm sick. Mm-hmm. I'm in need of a doctor rather than to stand outside a situation and say, oh, I have no needs of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, this parable is still, uh, gosh, I love this parable because it makes me feel so many different things mm-hmm. on so many different levels. Complex. Like I was the prodigal. I ate with the pigs, thought, thinking I was living my best life now. God broke in brought me out of it, came and saved me. At the same time, when I hear this prodigal and I go, but the son is, the, the older son is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be ticked off too. Like yeah. you just disrespected our father and took a third of his stuff and just went off. And now you're going to come back and be like, Hey, I'm back. Like, <laughs> no, I, it's so hard to wrap mm-hmm. my mind around. What could the older son have done differently? How about that? What if the older son had said, Dad, I don't understand. I feel anger. Mm-hmm. Um, could you help me explain how this is serving the prodigal well? Right. Mm-hmm. How, how is this serving our family well? That's a whole different experience. Different and Nicodemus, posture. you brought Nicodemus up in John 3, uh, goes to Jesus on several occasions. If you chase, trace Nicodemus's interaction with Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, he's showing up, he's standing on the periphery, he's trying to understand and He's the guy that at the end of it all buries Christ's body. So the, he's, he's, he's coming closer. He's asking questions. That's a different posture than just angry as all get out, resentful and bitter. Yeah. And the, the, I mean, we got to remember that this, this parable is in this line of parables to talk about how absolutely ridiculous from an earthly perspective the lo- how the love of God and the kingdom of God is and how it works. It's radical. It's absolutely reckless love mm-hmm. that God is displaying in, 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 through these stories. So he's the guy, the shepherd, that goes after the one sheep and leaves the 99 all by themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like nobody, everybody would go, that's the stupidest thing from a preserve your sheep perspective you could ever do. Yep. So people would hear that parable and go, it doesn't even make any sense. It's so audacious that he would even act that, like mm-hmm. unbelievable. Okay, 10 coins and the one still has value? What? You'd spend, like she would stay up all night looking for that one coin, and then, you know, and then you go to, so it's, the reason that we struggle with it is because we can't fathom it from a human right. perspective. Right. And that's how, that's my struggle. Right. That's my struggle with it. And it gets into grace. It, we should go to the next question and, and we're going to go to number three because it's about grace and we can continue the discussion along these lines. But the next one is I like the series, but can't help but feel it is putting undue emphasis on grace that we are offering an easy believism. <laughs> what say you? <laughs> Um, I'm glad that there is a sense of, um, there's a, there seems to be a sense. People are getting the radical nature of grace to ask this, like, are we, are we overcorrecting? Are we going from one ditch across the road into the other ditch? Um, I think that that's, 
that is to be expected. Um, Jesus's message uh, is the polar opposite of religion. It's a message of dependence, not performance. And so I think that that, I'm, that someone is hearing correctly how radical is the good news. It's truly good news. It's not just okay news. He's saving us. We're not saving ourselves apart from anything we do. So it would be hard, though, for me to draw the conclusion that easy believism is a primary message of this series when yesterday's takeaway was confession. Confess your sin. Confession is the granny shot that brings grace into our lives. And so confession is an admission that we fall short in that um, we need um, to honor God with our lives. So it's not... um, (laughs) Yeah, I would would offer one verse, and it's a coupling... um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. So it's a gift. Then he goes on to say in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I don't think we will overcorrect into easy believism at Glenville Bible Church, but we need to lay a thorough track. We need to rehearse the gospel regularly in the power of his grace if we're going to hear the message that we're called to do good works and we're going to live that out appropriately. And so just as Paul in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 lays out first, it's by grace, through faith, apart from anything you do, you're safe from that lifestyle and you're safe to something. That's what we're aiming out here. So, Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I get it. Grace seems too good to be true because it almost is. Uh, at the same time, to call it an easy believism, if you believe you've been saved by grace and you believe you've been truly saved and you're, you can use the word easy in your description with your faith, then I'm going to challenge that you've been saved because <laughs> mm-hmm. you're called to die. You're called to lose your life. Nothing about this is going to be easy. It's actually going to be very difficult. Um, you're called to, like, the, if you, if you uh, love your life, you're going to lose it, right? If you hate your life, you're going to gain eternal life. Like, this isn't, yes, the grace does appear easy in a sense, but... Too good to be true at some points, mm-hmm. yeah. But, but this is a, your call, the call is to die to yourself. Like, this isn't... Uh, right. I say the justification part is, <clears throat> is easy. That was the easy part. The justification part is easy. My belief in Christ, that this is too good to be true. Yes, Lord, I believe it. It's the sanctification part that is the grueling, brutal. That's the part you're talking about. This life of faith is not hard, or is hard. It's not easy. The life of faith is difficult. It involves suffering and perseverance and patience and joy all mixed in and high moments and low moments, it's a, it's a working out of our salvation. <laughs> Understanding it, applying it, that's the difficult, the difficult work. And so let's not equate the two, right? Where justification and sanctification are the same thing, same moment. Let's separate the two. And so, I, I mean, 
Alistair Begg said in the end of his sermon, I will go down on the side of compassion. Hmm. And that, that's the side I want to go down on. I don't want to go down on the side of judgment. Nobody wants to go down. Nobody yeah. wants to go down on the side of judgment saying, you did a good job. You did a good job judging people and keeping people out and <laughs> making, you know, that's not the side I want to go down on. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a knowledge, in, an, in a lack of permissibility of sin, a lack of accepting of sin, a lack of affirming of sin, and yet being so compassionate that justification is available. Now, the, the work of sanctification is difficult, but justification is available to anyone. Mm. Welcome others just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's no... <laughs> yeah. So the transformation is after justification <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah. So it, it can... I, I understand the tension that's a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah. To we re- walk into the tension and the hard conversations and the awkwardness. It's worth it yeah. to take the risk of trying to live like Christ and have a have love, compassion, and correction and teaching for the breadth of sinner and righteous. Yeah. We read Psalm 98 at the beginning of service yesterday. And the whole psalm is just praise God, praise God with, you know the lyre and, and make, make joyful noise and all that. And then it ends by saying, because the Lord's coming to judge the earth with equity right. in a righteous way. Like he's going to, ju- he's going to judge in a way that everyone's going to agree with it. Like, like, yes, this is, this is what's right. Right. Like this is like, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're a hundred percent spot on. Like we can be compassionate, but man, we can't, we can't judge with the kind of equity that God's going to bring when he brings it. Like, and not the kind of clarity. N- no, not at all. God judges the heart. Right. Can I add one more thing? Yeah. It's about love. And I know you guys hate love. <laughs> but hopefully, you, hopefully this, this well, scripture might penetrate your hearts. We love godly love, just not hallmark love. <laughs> this is from Galatians 5, uh, verse 13. Listen closely, because it's about love. (laughs) You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge Mm. the flesh. flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly Mm. in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Read the next verse. If you bite and devour (laughs) each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Yep. Yep. I was really focusing more on the love part. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. um, I'm doing a a Bible study right now or whatever you want to call it on love, which is probably why I'm all the more excited for Valentine's Day. Um, (laughs) Any reason to celebrate love. I feel like that is maybe something that's just missing from not our conversation, but just the conversation in general about this idea of easy believism or cheap grace. Mm. Tough love, though. We got to give tough love. Yeah. That was too convincing, John. <laughs> but that's, you've maybe heard it a time or two. I think that's... Uh, yeah. 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 I just am really... I, you can't take that out of the equation. Like, I, maybe that's going back to the older brother again. Maybe that's something that he is lacking, is just that deep... Un, like indescribable, life-changing love mm-hmm. that comes from God. And who knows, we could unpack him and 
it's very complex. Maybe he has a bad relationship with his dad and that's why, you know, there's so many things, but I just think that's what's missing in his, the demonstration of his, of his response and his questions is even if it's justifiable is there's just no love. Mm. And, um, I think that's, I don't know, maybe what's missing from this conversation. I, I want to be loved. We all know, we, and to love others there. That's the rich life is, um, the biting and devouring that's going on is, is convicting. Mm -hmm. And I want, I want to show grace even to those who are biting and devouring. Um, and that's, I don't do good at that always. That's so. harder. That's harder to do. It is. Than, it is. In my opinion, than welcoming the prodigal. Right. So yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Hey, we want to make a quick announcement about Ash Wednesday. If this is a service that's new to you, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the Lenten season of repentance. The Lenten season of repentance is that season leading up to Easter celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And the goal is to prepare our hearts and we kick that off on Ash Wednesday. Now it's an early morning service, it's 6 a.m. And we apply ashes to the forehead. Ashes are the traditional symbol of repentance. In that, sin in our lives brings death and ashes are a representation of sin. So join us at 6 a.m. February 14th. Interestingly, it happens to be Valentine's Day. So, 6 a.m., February 14th for the Ash Wednesday service, kickoff to the Lenten season. Well, you, you um, talked in your, in your sermon, you preached yesterday, that confession is like a, a granny shot, right? Yeah. Just something that, man, we, sh we should be able to do it. Just humble ourselves, humble right? It. Just, this is the start of it, and this, this is easy. Just, just confess, but it's also difficult, right? So, the next question, I'm not... <clears throat> I'm not only hesitant to confess, I'm hesitant to hear others confess. To be honest, I'm hesitant to be a part of a church that is calling people to confess to one another. The whole thing feels like a mess waiting to happen. How can we ensure that it will be handled well? I do think a uh, culture of confession will be messy. It'll be messy. Yeah. Um, but you've got to consider the alternative. The alternative is a church that's pretending a church that isn't experiencing the grace and the love of God and a church that isn't actually care, uh, caring for each other. We, we're not in each other's lives. The alternative is loneliness and weakness if we don't have confession. We're alone, we're, we're shut off and cut off from one another, not fully known by each other, and we miss out on the power of God, so we're weakened by not being a people that are confessing. So I get it. It'll be messy. The alternative is so uh, difficult that I'd rather head for the mess. As for managing the mess, I think you're right to, be, to ask, like, how are we going to do this well? Um, let's start with confession, something we invite, we don't require. We don't demand confession of each other. Uh, we don't bludgeon each other, threaten each other into being confessors. We actually have to lead by example. We have to create space where confession can happen. Um, second, not every group is built for confession within the church. So uh, if I showed up a couple weeks ago at the winter warm-up, which was our just our, our potluck fellowship time together, and started confessing my sin <laughs> and asking for prayer, that would have been way out of bounds. So um, 
What would you have said, do you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we just need to make sure that when, when we're uh, approaching confession and we're about to make it messy, that the group is, is built for that, ready for that. There, there are some groups within the church that are, are more ready than others for that. Like I think confession can happen in small groups uh, that meet throughout the week. I think confession can happen at men's frat. It can happen at women's Bible study. Uh, in gender-specific experiences, it often works best there. Um, thirdly, I think we should recognize that the confession is going to grow over time. We learn to handle this mess over time. It's, it's not something that we can rush into. Rather, it's something we cultivate and we tend to, meaning it's like a garden. We have to turn the soil over. We'll have some, some good seasons where it's working well, some seasons where it's not working as well, and we're going to learn as we go. Um, also, I, I think we don't have to, when we begin confessing our sins to each other and praying for each other, we don't have to start with our deepest, darkest secrets. In fact, you could start by just confessing your temptations. Hey, I'm feeling uh, tempted in this area. Pray for me. Uh, there's no sin in temptation. Everybody's tempted. So it's, it's fairly shallow ground just to admit, hey, I'm tempted to covet my neighbor's new Lamborghini you know, or whatever. Um, and so we can wade into the water, but we need to get into the water of confession because that's where grace is experienced. That's where power is experienced. That's where freedom's experienced. That's where healing's experienced. So it needs to be an increasing part of our culture. And there's another question later on that says, where do I ask, where do I start with confession? When you just kind of talked about it, a yeah. great place to start is just what maybe internally you don't have to just start with i'm confessing about a sin against you from me or whatever you could can be personal um this person saying i can see how it would help but don't know what to do the thing the thing is there another place to start sure what's the next step yeah i was going to say something else so if you want to talk about that oh (laughs) yeah question number five says where do i start with i can see how it'd be valuable but don't know actually what to do and so um, I've been a part of uh, confession experiences that I didn't see coming. So the first thing to do is say is to make sure, hey, you know, I, I need to, would you be okay hearing my confession? I have something that I need to share. It's troubling me. It's a burden to me. Would you be willing to bear that burden? And the person could say yes or no, or, hey, let's get, let's catch up on that tomorrow to, you know, that type of thing. So ask, would you be willing to hear this and pray for me? That's, and, and maybe the group has started with, hey, we want to be a confessing group. You should know this is a safe place. We're trying to, but just let's make sure that that's appropriate. I, I know of a person who confessed to someone that they were lusting after their spouse. That's not ideal, Ooh. right? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's painful. So we need, to, we need to make sure, you know, there are just some, some social graces and some sensitivity in the confessing process. Um, Secondly, I'd say start small. There's no need to cover every sin you've ever committed, you know. Uh, Address the sin that you're hiding currently or that you're harboring or that's hindering you from the joy and freedom. Um, And and we can't can't address every sin in a 90-minute small group. So we need to, again, there needs to be some social graces, some ebb and flow to this. And to your point, um, who you share your confession with 
I mean, that, that could largely be dependent on what the confession is. <laughs> yeah. Like what you just, right. the example you just said, right. that, the lusting after someone's spouse, you probably don't want to go to the other spouse and be like, I got a confession. That right. manipulative. Right. And a lot of confession is manipulative yeah. if we're I, not careful. I've known spouses to confess to their spouse and it was like a velvet hammer. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm behaving sinfully because you're failing me in this way. Well, that's not right. constructive either. So we, we need to, um, it does take some work to figure this out. So uh, I'll, two more things. Keep it short. This isn't therapy. It's confession. So name the sin and go to prayer. Um, and that's the second. When you hear someone, that's the final. When you hear someone confess, celebrate the blood of Jesus. So, you know, if Matt says to me, whatever, his confession, then I can say, hey, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover that sin. And then go to prayer. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the uh, pitfalls of confession is uh, feeling like the person that you're confessing to is going to give you advice or like um, correctives or whatever. Fix it. Yeah. And then, and the same is true then for the person that's hearing it is like, what if they say something? I have no, no I don't know what to do. Well, there, there isn't, in confession, there isn't a corrective. It's hearing and praying mm-hmm. for r- relief, for healing. Um, healing. Yeah, it's not a, a fix it. So, um, you know, that's why it's important to, I don't know, have that mindset, go to the right mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. Um, when, or else it isn't, it, you don't feel freedom mm-hmm. from the confession. You feel like, well, now I have work to do on this. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not true. saying that that's not a part of it, mm-hmm. but the ultimate like unloading of it and confessing it is not the place for the fixing of it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking, and I don't know if I if I'm on to what you're saying or not, Kelly. But I, there's like different degrees of of this. Like there's a very specific. I did something. I need to confess, and you know, seek repentance. And I need you as my community to help me do that. That's. Mm-hmm. That's definitely one thing, and I think that you're speaking to that. I I think I accidentally confessed this morning. Hmm. Um, I I didn't think to myself, oh, I need to confess, but I was experiencing um, just a low level of anxiety, and that happens on Monday mornings. You know, we were out of town over the weekend, so I felt I felt a little out of my rhythm, and I called my best friend, who I talk to every day. But I called her about an hour earlier than I usually do at 7.30. And I knew she'd be in the middle of getting her own kids out the door or whatever. And she called me right back. And she's like, everything okay? I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm just anxious. And I can't put my finger on it. And I'm, I'm, I just feel out of, I don't feel like myself right now. I have this, my stomach hurts. I have this low level of anxiety. And she's like, well, you know, she just talked, she literally talked to me for the next hour. So we're both yelling at our kids, get out the door, you know, as we're talking to each other. And it it calmed me because I was able just to express it. Like I feel it. I can't put my finger on what that was. What was frustrating as I couldn't identify what the root of it was. And so then it just felt even more. And she knows me well enough. And this is why I was agreeing with you, John, when you said it has to be the right person because she knew me well enough to say, maybe you need to get it, get a run in this afternoon. And I had said, I think you're right. I need to make time to do that. Um, and then she, you know, talked me through the tasks I was doing at the moment. And just, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm doing a good job explaining it, but it just was so helpful mm-hmm. to voice it. And I knew that it was me, prob- the anxiety for me when it 
you know, creeps up a lot of times is like misplaced. I'm trying to control something. I want something done that doesn't, can't happen or I'm frustrated. It, mm -hmm. it does come back to me, you know, having too high of expectations or trying to cram too much in or whatever it is. Um, and she just talked me through it and, you know, by the end of the conversation, we were rehashing the Grammys, Matt, which <laughs> I thought I was going to get to do with you this morning. Um, I'm lame. I know. It's fine. Um, <laughs> anyway, so looking back at that conversation, I'm like, oh, maybe I think I was confessing that I was struggling there, with anxiety. Absolutely. And, there are yeah. elements of confession in what you described. However, not everybody has that level of friendship in their yes. life. Yes. And so we don't have to wait to to let others bear our burdens until we cultivate yeah. uh, a conversation that can last for 90 minutes and the person knows me so well, they can help me uh, problem solve. Yeah, it, that, it, there the are elements of confession about what you just described, mm -hmm. without a doubt. Yeah, the, the takeaway could be, I need to find a friend like Simone's friend. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe, yeah. but the, the we real, all take, need friends the like real takeaway is don't just... Isolate yourself, be lonely, mm -hmm. confess mm -hmm. those things to... You open But you yourself. might even have a friend like that that you're not realizing I could call yeah, and that you have that conversation with, agreed. right? Yeah. I think you bring up a good point. Confession, you know, the Catholic Church, uh, for better or for worse, has a history of confession. Now, it was a booth, you confessed mm -hmm. to a priest, you didn't mm -hmm. see one another. Um, In middle school, we had open confession. Nice. <laughs> we, they did that to us once. We had to go in front of the entire school Aww. in the church Sorry, on Matt. the, uh, near That's the altar hard. That's hard. and sit face to face while people were watching. They couldn't hear, but like, wow. Yeah, that was intense. Hard. Anyway, sorry. Didn't mean to derail us, but. Well, we, we need those people in our lives. It may be your spouse. Maybe you have a marriage that can bear that type mm -hmm. of that level. Um, I just, it's a discipline to, to share what is hindering, what, what you're harboring, um, how you're self-sabotaging, um, and then let somebody pray for you is, that is the, that's the care of Christ on earth. That's the hands and feet of Jesus. I did think of one more, just getting into the water of confession, like make that routine in your prayer life with God. If you, if, if starting to, uh, person to person is daunting, um, if you if you start with God, if you if you try to make that a, a daily, because I guarantee you've got something to confess on the daily, mm -hmm. right? Like um, then then confession can become just more a part of your yeah. your spiritual walk in general. Yeah. Um, all right, so we got one last one here. Uh, it occurs to me that prodigals may come to faith more easily than high performers. Do you think that <laughs> is the case? I'm not sure that's the case. Our church is full of high performers, right? Yesterday, it was a gathering of high performers, by and large. Uh, and there are many, many, many in the church are trusting Christ. So the Apostle Paul was a high performer. Nicodemus was a high performer. Both came to Christ. Um, so I, I don't think it's as simple as saying prodigals come to Christ more often than high performers. I think they come to Christ differently. They have their different points of inflection. Trust in Jesus is ultimately what they both need to come to. They need to both confess. It looks different for different people, but lost is lost and found is yep. found. Uh, so I just think they come in different ways. I, you know, the high performer, uh, like Simone, oh, <laughs> you know, called out. you're right. <laughs> I, I, 
you, you named anxiety. I mean, high performers are going to wrestle with, they're going to come to the end of themselves in different ways, depression, anxiety, whatever, self-righteousness. Prodigals, it, you know, it's often addiction and self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. So it just, the, the good news is the father comes out to meet us both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, the same thing, no matter who you're describing, what either one of those personalities, you know, those are general categories, mm-hmm. they're both seeking to cover up something else that's happening in their yeah. life. They are coping. Yeah. And that is what makes us all very unique in the same, you know, is that we all are trying to. Yeah. John Foster pointed, Pastor John Foster pointed out to me this week, both boys wanted their father's stuff. Yeah. They were just going about getting it yes. very differently and very unhealthy. Great point. Which I just thought was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say, I think maybe prodigals, it's easier to, um, to believe that God acts first, maybe, <laughs> you know, like I have, I have less of an issue knowing that that's true because it's easier. I can see it easier and played out in my salvation in my, mm-hmm. in the process of me being saved. It was just like, well, I didn't do anything, you know, he um, came and found me. I mean, gosh, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. So it's easier to see that mm-hmm. in my personal story. Um, so I don't, that may be true for other prodigal type of, of situations, but yeah, but think of the apostle Paul and his conversion just on his way to, to, to perform at this really high level as a zealot Pharisee and God just arrests him, boom, stops him. He did. Yeah. I, I praise God that he, he finds us when we're lost. Yeah. Excuse me. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to the next level. Boom! Prophecy.